we ask God's blessing on what he wants to accomplish today. Heavenly Father, if there may be a lot of people that are in church today that are just like me. I'm a kid that grew up in church. Every Sunday, that's what we did. As a result of that, <clears throat> there are times, Lord, where it can become routine, where we can just do what we do because we've always done it, and we lose fact of the sacredness of your presence. Father, as we approach your word this morning, I am keenly aware that each of us are given an opportunity of how we will respond. There will be those that will respond with open arms. There may be those today that will respond in rebellion. I ask that your Holy Spirit would work in such a way that whatever obstacles we have to hearing the truth would be removed in here today. And that, Lord, that our response to you would be one of recognizing how much you love us, how much you have pursued us, and what you have done for us. And so, Lord, we ask that the anointing of your Holy Spirit would rest upon your word, and I, as your servant, Lord, would be able to clearly communicate what you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, would you turn around and shake somebody's hand? Tell them you're glad they're here this morning. <clears throat> And you may be seated. Before I dive in this morning, I want to again acknowledge the work of Dr. Mark Rutland, Dr. David Jeremiah. They have been so helpful in the things that they have written and said that has helped me in the putting together of this series that is about natural authority versus spiritual power. I believe that as we get into it today, you're going to begin to see there's some correlation going on in our world today that, that fits well with some of the interactions between Old Testament prophets and the kings that they were a part of. And as we get into, the, into that today, I believe that you'll begin to see that God has a word for the church and us as individuals. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to Ephesians 6.12. This is going to be a verse that's going to launch us into what I want to... Uh, accomplished today through the word and it's one that you probably are quite familiar with the word says for our struggle just say that with me for our struggle because there are those that believe that once you belong to Christ you never struggle again don't know what church they attend not sure what life they live but I just want you to understand that the Lord is not unaware of the struggle of life that we go to but then he brings some clarification to that. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I had faces that came to my mind. Some of you did too. And the Lord simply wants to remind us that it's not those faces that we're fighting against. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Now, to illustrate this, I'd like to go back to an old, old movie. People my age are going to remember this. How many of you remember the original Wizard of Oz? About half of you. For the rest of you, I think it's out again in high definition. You may want to take a look at this. But I'd like you to look at this clip that I believe is something that will help us understand this passage of Scripture. So we'd like you to keep your promise to us, if you please, sir. Not so fast. Not so fast. 
I'll have to give the matter a little thought. Go away and come back tomorrow. Tomorrow? Oh, but I want to go home now. You've had plenty of time already. Yeah. Do not arouse the wrath of the great and powerful Oz. I said come back tomorrow. If you are really great and powerful, you'll keep your promises. Do you presume to criticize the great Oz? You ungrateful creatures think yourselves lucky that I'm giving you audience tomorrow instead of 20 years from now. Oh. The great Oz has spoken. Oh. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The great Oz has spoken. Who are you? Oh, I, I, I am the great and powerful wizard of Oz. You are? Uh, I yes. don't believe you. No, I'm afraid it's true. There's no other wizard except me. You humbug! Yes, yes, it's exactly so. I'm a humbug. Oh, you're a very bad man. Oh, no, my dear. I, I'm a very good man. I'm just a very bad wizard. <laughs> I'm a good man. Just a bad wizard. I'd like to start this morning by letting you know that there is a power behind the power that you see. The Bible clearly teaches us that there are forces involved in these interactions that are beyond natural, they are supernatural. That the world in which we live and some of the struggles that we face are spiritual in nature and there's something going on behind the scenes. In fact, power in the natural realm is a mystery, and it, it can't fully be explained in earthly terms alone. In every human conflict, there is a sense of something else that's going on. Something that is beyond space and something beyond time is involved, and we have this sense because it's true. So, when a maniac plots murder, there's a mind behind the mind. Every time somebody is involved in domestic violence, there is a fist behind the fist. Behind every school shooting and violent murders that have taken place in some of our grocery stores, there is a warped mind that is at work behind the individual that is acting these things out. This is the way of human history. Behind a raging king, a monstrous evil, a narcissistic, self-worshipping egomaniac, there is a compelling spirit that is at work. It's the mind behind the mind that brings the rage behind the rage. And this is the battle. This is the tension that we have between natural authority and spiritual power. I mentioned last week that I'm going to be taking a look at the interaction between prophets and kings. And the first one that I'd like to look at today is the interaction between Moses and Pharaoh. This probably is the most famous interaction in the Bible as it relates to a prophetic statement. In fact, Moses makes the most powerful and impactful prophetic statement ever uttered through the lips of mankind. And you can find this in Exodus 5.1. When it says this, this is what the Lord says, or thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel says, and say it with me, let my people go. Now, I, I think you can do better than that, so let's try that one more time. 
let my people go. The most famous prophetic statement. The only problem with that is that oftentimes when we look at this, we get the wrong word as the most important. We look at this from the aspect of let my people go, get them out of slavery, and, and, and let's get them away from this evil king. However, I would like you to take a look at this with me through a do I today. I think the most important word in this statement is my. Let my people go. The contest between God and God through Moses and Pharaoh was not actually about slavery. For all we know, Egypt had overcome a lot of other kingdoms and that there were many different nations or tribes and races that were their slaves at the time. This was about the Hebrew people. This was about God's people. If it was about sin, then God would have addressed it differently as to calling Pharaoh to his personal sins. But Pharaoh was never called to repent. He was never even confronted with his sin. In fact, the issues aren't even about false idols or false gods that Pharaoh promoted in Egypt. It wasn't that God was wanting even to reform Egypt in the way that they lived and worshipped. This battle between the prophet of God and a Pharaoh was about God's ownership over his own people. Who owns my people? And God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, they belong to me. And God said, they are mine. And you are a thief and you are a murderer. And in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh says this, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I just want you to know, I don't know if there's any more frightful thing anybody can say. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And with those words, the die is cast. Prophet versus Pharaoh. The God of Abraham versus the God of Egypt. The prize was a people that was currently in slavery, that God was about to make a nation and let a nation be born. And Pharaoh is declaring, these people have belonged to Egypt for over 400 years, they belong to me. Pharaoh said, I decide where they live. I decide where they work. I decide what they have to work with. I decide how they spend their time. I decide what they eat. And I decide whether they live or whether they die. And if you will remember correctly, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 9, Pharaoh said, The Israelites have become too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become more numerous, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemy and fight against us and leave the country. Pharaoh, in an effort to reinforce his ownership of the Hebrew people, tells the Hebrew midwives, Sifra and Puah, to kill every baby boy that is born as soon as it's born because I want to keep their population in check and I want to make sure that my power is secure. Now we know that the midwives did not follow Pharaoh's order. So he gave another order that every male child under the age of two should be thrown into the Nile River and that they should be drowned. 
Make no mistake about it. This is Pharaoh making a statement of ownership. I own these people. I own their lives. I own their reproductive rights. I own the rate at which I will allow them to populate. I own their labors. I own their future. And I own their death. It is at my command. I am their owner. I need you to know today that the spirit of Pharaoh is loose and alive in our land today. The spirit of Pharaoh that claims ownership over the lives of those that should belong to God. So what does this mean to us today? I will admit to you that the Sunday that I missed the most when I wasn't here this Sunday, this summer, was the Sunday after Roe v. Wade was overturned. When I was away, that decision was made where the Supreme Court declared that abortion was not a constitutionally protected right, effectively overturning Roe v. Wade on a federal level. Several weeks before that, interesting enough, as we look at what is taking place in current events in light of the fact that there's a hand behind the curtain, things that are going on, somebody seeing the direction that this may go decided to try to intervene and leak Judge Alito's brief, thinking that if I can turn opinion in public, I might be able to change a coming decision. As a result of that, we know the firestorm that resulted. Remember, the power behind the scenes, the things going on that nobody knows about in the spiritual realm is reflected in the behaviors of humanity. There were protests outside the homes of every justice that those that were enemies of life thought might vote in favor of the overturn. There were threats against their lives and the lives of their families. There was protection that had to be brought. This was a battle in the spiritual realm that is being played out in the physical realm right before our eyes. The power behind the power. What we see with our eyes is the shadows. We see the puppets, but often don't realize that there is an unseen evil force that is on the inside causing people to act and say the way they want them to. And as a result of that, listen to me, church, this is important. As a result of that, the church, we who are believers, often get caught up in the consequential issues rather than understanding the main issue of what's going on. Now listen closely. Let me illustrate this. The sin of abortion, consequently, is the sin of murder. But abortion is not the primary sin. We can get caught up in the consequences from time to time and miss the main point. Let me play this out again. The sexual sins which so beset our nation and our world today, which includes every sexual act outside of a married man to his wife and a married woman to her husband. Each one of these are consequential sins to the main issue. And the bigger issue that we as a church must understand in the way that we pray and in the way that we act is this. The primary sin that is the root of so many others is this. It's the sin of self-ownership. The sin of self-ownership. 
Here's the way that looks today. When a woman stands up and says, my body, my choice. When a man stands up next to her and says, it may be your body, but it's also my choice in that. God says, your body belongs to me. The spirit of Pharaoh in this world says, it's my body, and I own it. And God says, no, it's mine. And the battle that is played out between the physical, natural authority versus the spiritual power of God is played out before our very eyes. God says in Psalm 139, 13 through 16 through the psalmist, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God says to us further, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And listen, these next words are not Doug DeMint's opinion. God did not call me into the ministry for me to give you my opinion. God called me into the ministry to give, me, to give you his word. And his word says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God with your body. So when you declare that you own yourself, no matter who you are, you have entered into a spirit of Pharaoh that is alive and well in this world. It is that spirit that Moses confronted at the direction of God, informing Moses and informing us, if you steal what belongs to God, you are on a pathway to agony. So today, the sin of self-ownership manifests itself in so many different issues. It clothes itself in the human arena of abortion and euthanasia and suicide and gender confusion and idolatry and self-worship. But make no mistake about it, the church is dealing with a spiritual conflict about who is in ownership here. Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And that is precisely the prophetic word of God's church to the world around us. Satan, you do not own these people. You are a liar. You are a thief. You are a murderer. And these are God's people. Having said that, I will tell you that I don't know that I have ever and my spirit as a pastor felt more of a responsibility when that decision came down. Understanding that we can't just celebrate one decision, but suddenly the church, those of us that love the Lord, are responsible for way more than just one decision. We are alive and well and living in the presence and direction of God, understanding the day in which we live. And there are ladies and there are men and there are families that we can no longer ignore. 
that we have to begin to stand up and take responsibility for what we believe and say, okay, Lord, then what do we need to do to make sure that we can resource well all of the answers that are needed in our community so that we don't just celebrate and then leave somebody on their own to face the consequences, but that the church can stand up and say, if God is the owner of all, then he owns me, he owns my resources, and he owns the vision of this church. So how then, oh God, do you want us to respond to that? You need to know, first of all, I recognize, I know, I know that there are people that are here today and that are watching online that are suffering because this even gets brought up. But I serve a God of forgiveness. I serve a God that dispenses healing. I serve a God that makes us a brand new creation. I serve a God that says, if you will come to me, I will make you brand new and I will erase the past and I'll throw it as far as the east is from the west. I serve a God of hope. Yes, yes, yes. And you need to know that when you hear this word today. But if ownership was the primary issue, then there is a natural question that follows from those that are critics of God and those that are seekers of truth but have yet to get some answers. And that question is this. What gives God the right of ownership? What gives God the right of ownership? I have several points that I want to briefly introduce to you. I want you to write them down, and I'm going to read some scriptures in reference to these things, and I promise I will not preach on all of them or we will be here all week. But I want you to look with me at God's credentials that gives him the right. Number one, A, he existed before anything else. Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, before it ever began and after it's all over, you are God. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, He alone, He alone is immortal. There is none like Him. He alone is immortal. Eternality trumps finiteness every time. B. He created all things. John 1.3, through him all things were made. Say that with me. All things were made. I want you just to notice how many times when we go through this that the term all is used in this. Now, for those of you that didn't stand that all things were made through him, it's turned around and it says this way. Without him, nothing is made. All or nothing, you get it? Everything that is here has been made. Two ways of saying the same thing. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. What right does he have of ownership? He created you and he owns you. See, he sustains all things. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Have you ever thought for just one moment in your imagination what would happen if God suddenly just stopped the earth? Where we would go flying to? How far we would be launched into space? He's holding all things together. Hebrews 1.3 the sun is his radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. The language of the Bible tells us that he has the power to hold everything together and he is the one from an atomic level to a 
cosmic level has it all in his control. D, he is above all things. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, the ancient times and from what is still yet to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. Nobody is going to stop God and there's nothing restraining him. E, he knows all things. Psalm 139, 1 through 4. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Now that, that is one of those verses that honestly makes me a little nervous. Because it separates my character from my reputation. God says, I know the character. You have searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar off. There's another one of those scary verses. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. The knowledge that is described in Scripture is exhaustive, thorough, covering details down to the smallest possible levels as it relates to how God knows us. F, he can do whatever he pleases. Psalm 135, 6. The Lord does whatever he pleases in the heavens and on earth, in the seas and all the depths. Jeremiah 32, 27. Look, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? G, he orchestrates all things. Isaiah 14, 24. The Lord of hosts has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be. As I have purposed, so it will stand. Ephesians 1.11 reminds us that God works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. H, he rules over all things. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, the most powerful man on the earth at that time decided to take on God. And when God was through with him, here's what he said. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion as an eternal dominion. His kingdom endure from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does what He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? I, He is in control of all things. He controls human events. Psalm 33, 9 through 11. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nation. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plan of the Lord stands firm forever. The purposes of his heart from generation to generation. Not only does he control human events, he controls your circumstances. In James 4, 13 through 15. Now listen, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Only God knows what tomorrow holds. J, he is the highest and supreme royalty. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 in the NIV says this, Therefore God exalted 
him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Hallelujah. We're worshiping the name that is above every name today. That at the name of Jesus, just a few knees should bow. Every knee will bow. For those of you that may be watching online right now and you've never bowed a knee to the King of Kings, I want you to know you will one day. You can either choose to do it with your own self-will today or one day at judgment you will be forced upon your knees to recognize his greatness. But every knee will bow. And in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You get the picture here? To say God is sovereign... To say that he has the right of ownership is for you to come to the understanding that his majesty is unrivaled. He is unlimited in power and knowledge. Worship team, please come if you would. He is unaffected by anything that is outside of himself. He is outside of time and completely free to do whatever he wills to do, anywhere, anytime, with every single detail he chooses without interference. He reigns, period. He reigns, period. He reigns, period. Our God reigns. This is what it means to say that God is sovereign and has the right of ownership over his entire creation. Here's the issue for us. We are so good at making invitations for people to recognize Jesus as Savior. I want the benefits, Lord. I want, I want my sins forgiven. I want my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want all of those joys. However, there are certain rooms in my life and in my house that I don't want you to go in. Can you just be a graceful God? so full of grace and mercy that you just ignore this other stuff and God says I own you now I understand that even in the terminology of that word there are certain people that get put off but there's a difference in the way you are treated when you're owned by others or owned by the world and you're owned by a God who loves you and gracefully deals with you desiring to restore you and to redeem you and to give gifts to you. There's a difference in the way God views ownership and the way Satan views ownership. Satan's come to kill, steal, and destroy. God has come to give you abundant life, more eternal life, life above and beyond what you can think. I like that. And so when he says to you, I have the right to be your Lord. I have the right to be your owner over your body. We sit back and say, great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, to do with me as you desire, and the decisions that I make will be in line with your ownership and lordship of my life. Would you stand with me? I've asked the worship team to lead us in this song before I come back and conclude this.
I declare to you this morning that the king that you have been singing about loves you. He is seeking you. He wants you to rely on him, to wait for him, to walk with him, and he wants you to obey him. Understanding that if you do so, it unlocks the blessings of the Lord because we all struggle. And in that struggle, we recognize there's a power behind the power. And we who know Jesus can stand and declare, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is the Holy Spirit that indwells my body, guides and directs me, than he who declares the spirit of Pharaoh that says, I own you. God's plans for you are for his glory and your good. And when the lordship of Jesus is settled in the believer's life, it settles all of the other issues. So my question to you today is, how do you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? His lordship is inseparably linked to Jesus in your response to him. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of choosing the wrong owner is death. The wages of saying to yourself, I own me, is death. But if you yield to the ownership of God, he says, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for my freedom that Christ has set me free. We're going, well, that, that kind of is... The antithesis of, of being owned. Freedom and ownership are different things. Not when you know Jesus, they're not. Do you get the picture? He separates you from the slavery of sin and sets you free in him. His ownership is freedom. It's joy. It's gladness in the Holy Ghost. And then he says this. Do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. I'm taking you out of slavery, and I'm taking you into my family, God says to us. Romans 6.22, but now you have been set free from sin. Some of you are about to make that decision right now. And you become slaves of God. The benefit that you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. We are living in a world of shadows today. Something going on behind the curtain. And the world is doing everything it can do to keep the prophetic word of God from the church to reach the hearts of those that are slaves to sin. But the word today is let my people go. I've got better plans. I'm going to ask that you just close your eyes for a moment, and I'm going to begin over here on your left side and my right. And if you're here today and you have never had an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior, and you've, you've heard this message and you feel stirred in your spirit and you would like to respond today, would you just simply look up? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to simply agree with you. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Moving now into the, your left center, my right center. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Are there others this morning? saying, I'm so tired of fighting this fight on my own. Moving now over to the other center section. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Is Jesus speaking to you today? All the way over to my far left, your far right, and into the overflow. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. 
Are there others today? If you're way in the back, you may need to lift your hand because I can't see very well back there. It's a little dark. So, Father, we come today to the place where your Holy Spirit has been at work within hearts. And we recognize today, oh God, that there were those that said, okay, knowing I'm not just receiving a Savior today, but I'm giving him lordship, I make this decision. And I ask, Father, that you would forgive them of their sin. I ask that you would forgive them of their past. I ask that you would bring healing to painful memories. I ask, Lord, that you would elevate them in their own heart to places where they recognize now their value. They've been told their whole lives they're worthless. They've been told their whole lives that they're slaves to sin and can never escape. And today, the word of the Lord said, let my people go. Today, oh God, they're making this decision, and we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, I'm going to be inviting our altar workers. In fact, if you're an altar worker this morning, if you begin to make your way to the front now, but I have a word for the church next. It is so easy for us just to dismiss this and say, ooh, that's a great salvation message. I believe God is calling the church to something different. We face and live in a world where there are a lot of people that dismiss what we say here because of the way we live there. We claim to be this and we claim to be that. And yet if we were to examine our lives, the lordship of, of Jesus seems to be missing the teeth that it needs in our life. Lord, I want you to be Lord of this and that, but I want you to leave that alone. Today he's calling the church to lordship again. Will you let me be Lord? And I'm not going to ask anybody to close their eyes. But if today you need to make a new commitment to him being Lord, then would you join me in raising my hand saying, God... I refuse to sit back in a world that's being lied to and not live consistently with what you desire of my life. I declare today to give you full lordship of my life. You own me and all the joys that come with that. All over this room, there are hands raised. So, Father, we stand before you today recognizing it's so easy to sing the songs it's so easy to quote the scripture. That sometimes, oh God, it's so easy to try to dismiss what it really means to give ourselves away to you. So, Father, would you start with my heart today? I recommit myself to your ownership, your lordship, and I'm grateful. Father, with the hands that were around this room, we as the church understand. It's so easy to speak of the prophetic word, but Lord, would you let our lives correlate well with what we are declaring? Bring us back to holiness. Bring us back to righteousness. Things that we will deal with in the coming Sundays as we talk about this issue. But Lord, today we declare, you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.